The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Want to become best friends with the single most powerful person in the country? Whether she's a Gucci girl, Prada professional, coach queen, or target trendsetter, we'll untie the purse strings and give you the inside track on today's woman. How to capture her attention, grow her loyalty, and create such enthusiasm about your company or product that she spreads the word with her friends and family. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Purse strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Retan, senior principal at Carmichael Lynch Spa, as she chats with those in the know so your business can grow. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Here's your host, Maria Retan. Good afternoon. Welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern. You're going to learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman. Well, some information from the New York Times, NBC, and Facebook are actually coming together uh, around the Olympics. Now, this is an article by Brian Stelter at the New York Times, and you may have heard about this. It's just it's breaking news, if you will. Apparently, NBC and Facebook, they're coming together to cross-promote each other during the Olympic Games in London. Now, we know the Olympic Games are going to create tons of buzz, and NBC is clearly looking to engage the world's largest social network to continue that buzz. Um, there will be a Facebook talk meter. Yes, talk meter is what they're calling it. That will be shown on TV to reflect what is being said online. Um, according to Gary Zinkel, he's the president of NBC Olympics, he said it's part of the division's plan to listen and then to talk back. Now, uh, the last time we had a Summer Olympics was way back in 2008, and Facebook had about 100 million users then. Today, allegedly, they have about 900 million users. Isn't that crazy? And we have become, as you know, so much more adaptable to watching TV and being on the computer and on our smartphones all at the same time, having multiple conversations. And as a result, you know, we got Facebook and NBC coming together. It's just pretty interesting. Apparently, no money is exchanging hands, so this is not an ad deal. Apparently, it's just an exposure deal. Um, according to the folks who know, on Facebook, NBC Olympics page will be frequently updated with exclusive content. So if you're a fan of Facebook, you're going to see, and a fan of the NBC Olympics page specifically, you're going to get some exclusive content. You'll see videos and read some articles um, from the Olympics website and, and more of that good stuff. NBC will be streaming um, every Olympic event this summer as well on its own site. Um, and um, apparently, Facebook is going to convert their user conversation data around the Olympics, and NBC is actually going to turn that data into stories. Now, this is what I find most interesting is how NBC is going to convert conversations you are having online to stories. It'll happen in prime time and other times of the day. They'll be labeled talk meters. You're going to want to keep your eyeballs out for that. 
And also during prime time on NBC, they're going to be promoting a daily poll on Facebook. So you can kind of see the cross-promotion that's going to be happening. Now, interestingly enough, um, there's not a deal with Twitter. And as you think about conversations, typically that's happening on Twitter. But not right now, uh, when it comes to the Olympics, at least not driven by NBC. Now, who knows? They probably will form some kind of deal before it's all said and done, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, our first profile today is the Alpha Mom. This is the Gen Y target, uh, millennial, of course. Um, and there's 1.6 million of these women, um, college grads, married, employed full-time, median household income of over $120,000. They're very influential, hence the name Alpha. They're the first among their friends to try new styles. They love to, you know, kind of help people out with advice um, before they go out and buy something. They consider themselves competent and, and very much an individual. They're ambitious and motivated, they say. They do uh, live in the moment, though, also, and look for change. They like to switch things up. They shop different stores. Um, they change brands often just for the sheer variety of it. And they value quality things. They're shopping at Neiman Marcus and Williams-Sonoma and Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom's. They're driving Volvo, BMW, and Volkswagen. And when it comes to their media choices, um, they're online and reading a lot of informative and entertaining publications like Better Homes and Garden, In Style, Time, Vogue, uh, First for Women. They're, they're watching news at CNN and, and watching HGTV and Lifetime and E! and Bravo. Um, and they're online a lot too, also at CNN getting their news. They're on eBay and Travelocity. Um, also a big fan of Netflix. Well, my guest today knows a lot about alpha women and women in general um, and a lot about what's going on with the American family. Sarah Jane Glenn is a policy analyst with the Economic Policy Team at the Center for American Progress. The Center for American Progress is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to improving the lives of Americans through progressive ideas and action. Um, you know, they really do look to address 21st century challenges all over the map. Um, you may think that this name is familiar, and that's because I've had a variety of people from the center on the program over the last five years. Jessica Ahrens actually was on Purse Strings more than two years ago, uh, sharing with you insight from a landmark report called the Shriver Report, A Woman's Nation Changes Everything. This was a report created in partnership between Maria Shriver, yep, that Maria Shriver, and the Center for American Progress. It really described how the women's movement out of the home and into the workforce has changed everything about American families, not only how we live, but how we work. Well, a lot of that information has now been updated. The update is called The New Breadwinners, and that's why we've got Sarah Jane on the program today. She's joining me to discuss the Center's latest findings, so you're going to want to stick around for that discussion when we come back. Okay, time for something we can all relate to, shopping. Her strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. 
Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOTool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. Her Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. Well, welcome back. Joining me today is Sarah Jane Glenn, a political analyst with the economic policy team at the Center for American Progress. The Center for American Progress is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to improving the lives of Americans through progressive ideas and action. And as we know, if you listen, into purse strings um, at any point in the last five years. I've had these folks on before. Absolutely love them. They've worked hard to address many, many um, issues facing in our nation, such as energy, national security, economic growth, opportunity, immigration, education, and health care, just to name a few. Sarah Jane, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, the Shriver Report, um, A Woman's Nation Changes Everything, really was milestone report when it debuted in late 2009. Um, Jessica Ahrens from your organization was a guest on Purse Strings around that time, sharing the highlights from that report. And it just seems like yesterday, and yet it's been three years. Um, At the time it came out, you know, it really described how the women's movement out of the home and into the workforce changed the family family dynamic, both how we live and how we work. And of course, our institutions have been keeping up the pace, and it feels like we're, we're getting more behind every day. I'm curious if the report in its current form has continued to generate buzz all these years later. It absolutely has. You know, one of the explicit goals of the report was to bring these issues out of the home. You know, families have been talking about this stuff around their kitchen tables for years now, but we really wanted to help inject it into the national dialogue. And I think we've, we've, we're seeing that now more than ever, um, and we've certainly been seeing it in the last three years. Um, and we have some, some really great things that have happened both nationally and at the local state levels that indicate, you know, people are really starting to take these issues seriously. Um, you know, as many of your listeners probably know, the very first law that President Obama signed when he took office was the Lilly Ledbetter um, Paycheck Act. 
which was a monumental um, occasion for for women workers. Um, and interestingly, you know, that sort of uh, mimics what President Clinton did when he went into office. His first term, the Family and Medical Leave Act was the first law that he signed. Um, and the White House has continued to pay attention to these issues. Uh, their task force on the middle class included uh, the need to help work families balance work and caregiving responsibilities as a main theme in their 2010 annual report. This year's um, economic report to the president had an entire section on workplace flexibility. We've seen paid sick days passes in the state of Connecticut and the city of Seattle. There are active campaigns all across the country right now around paid sick days. So I think that, you know, we've really helped to make these issues of national importance, not only for women, but also for men, for children, um, for people with disabilities, for the elderly community. You know, all of us are impacted by these things. And it's great to see both elected officials and the public giving them the attention that they're due. Well, clearly the report has accomplished quite a bit since it was published. And clearly, as you stated, some things have changed over the past three years. But I'm curious, what hasn't changed that maybe you hoped would have by now? Well, as everybody knows, um, we haven't seen as much legislative action as we would have liked uh, in the last few years. So while there have been some positive changes, um, we haven't seen as many wins as we would have necessarily liked to. Um, there's still a lot more work that needs to be done around this, but there are a lot of people both in the federal government and in state and local governments who are really committed to helping working families, um, and I'm very optimistic that we will continue to see good things happening. Yes, fingers crossed. Well, I know the work that you do there certainly is propelling the conversation forward. And if we're not talking about these things, that's the first step, right? There, we can't get them resolved. Um, I know you've updated one of the chapters of the report recently. Um, the chapter is called The New Breadwinners. You've updated some numbers um, that kind of have changed pretty dramatically in the last three years. What, what did you discover as you updated that chapter? Well, there were a couple things that we expected to see and then a few surprises that were in there as well. So there are more women who are earning as much or more than their partners um, than ever before. But one of the things that we were surprised to find was that the percentage of, of working women who are earning at least 25% of their family's income but less than their partners, that percentage actually shrunk. And we saw the most growth in the percentage of, of women who were either providing the sole income for their family or were earning more than their partners. Um, so I think that indicates the fact that, that women aren't just contributing to their family's income but are actually taking on this breadwinning role uh, more and more. Uh, with every passing year. And we've seen these increases across a variety of spectrums. So this is true for all income groups, for all races and ethnicities, um, for all age groups of mothers, and also for all age groups of children. So even amongst mothers who have uh, kids who are not yet school ready, so children who are under the age of six, um, we've even seen increases there in the percentages of women who are earning um, more than their partners uh, and contributing to their family income. So I think this indicates that women's earnings are you know, more important to their family's economic security than they've ever been before. Right, and unfortunately, it's probably because in large part because men are underemployed. Are you finding that that may be one of the major reasons? I mean, that's definitely a factor. Part of it is that men were very hard hit during the recession, mm -hmm. um, and part of that was because of the industries that were, that were specifically uh, cut back the most. So men were overrepresented in manufacturing and construction jobs, and that's where we saw the largest um, 
job losses. Um, but part of it is also that we have more and more women who are entering into the workforce, um, and, and that's part of what's going on as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw some data. Actually, I think it might have been no, – I'm, I'm going to be wrong, but I think it was census data, but it may not have been. You know, we know that uh, when the, the floor dropped out of the economy, more men than women lost their jobs. And as you said, you know, those more traditional male-oriented industries were the ones that were hit the hardest as a result, more men lost their jobs. But the data I read fairly recently in the last several months were that more men than women are now retaining their jobs, and men are actually gaining more jobs back at a higher rate than women are. are is your data showing that as well? And if so, why do you think that is? Well, that's absolutely correct. Men have gained more than four times as many jobs as women have during the recovery. Part of that we would expect because they lost more jobs in the first place, um, but the fact that more men were displaced originally can't account for the fact that they've gained so many more jobs mm -hmm. than women have. Um, and a big part of this is because of budget cuts to the public sector. Women are more likely than men to work in public sector jobs, uh, especially in healthcare and education. And so when, when budgets get cut and when we're shrinking the, the public labor force, um, we're disproportionately impacting women. So for every 10 jobs uh, in the private sector that women have gained, they've lost four public sector jobs. And that's primarily due to job losses amongst teachers and nurses. Um, so while the recovery has, has gained some jobs, we, women have experienced net losses as well. Mm -hmm. Do you think that maybe retraining or going back to school or gaining other skills can help position women to gain more of those jobs that maybe they're losing? I mean, what is it going to take to get women back to gaining um, jobs at a percentage that is even on par with men? Well, I mean, I definitely would encourage women who want to go back to school and, and retrain themselves for different careers to do so. But the truth of it is, you know, we need teachers and we need nurses. Um, and so it, these aren't jobs that can just be entirely eliminated without experiencing um, some difficulties in our nation. So I think what really needs to happen uh, is for funding to be funneled back into these sectors because these are vitally important jobs protecting the health of our communities and the education of our children. I mean, I think everyone would agree that those are incredibly important priorities that we should have as a nation, um, and it's really unfortunate that, that those have been industries that have been really hard hit with these budget concerns. What do you think the, the upcoming presidential election will do for this conversation? Well, I think we're really starting to see a lot more attention being paid to it. I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners heard about Anne-Marie Slaughter's recent piece about work-life balance oh, yes. that was published in The Atlantic and all of the response that we are continuing to see from that. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of different viewpoints on the issue, but I think it's a really positive indication that people are taking these issues that previously were thought of as being very personal. You know, this is just something that you as one individual are dealing with and you have to figure out a way to, to fix it on your own, I think we're starting to see that it's actually bigger than that, that this is a public issue that's affecting all of us, and that we need to come together as a nation to find some solutions that will benefit all of us as a whole. Yeah, Anne-Marie Slaughter's article, it's interesting. I, I read it. It's very long for those of you who haven't read it, but very comprehensive. It, it covers a range of topics that we've addressed here on this show in a myriad of different interviews, but she managed to combine them all in the one article. And it kind of leads me to my next question, which is, you know, that two 
earner household is standard now. Just the rates of women going back into the workforce to try to recover from the economy, to try to help step in and, and cover the bills, you know, it's kind of standard. We really, you're not going to go back to the quote-unquote 50s of the nuclear family. And the traditional family really doesn't exist anymore. A family now more often than not, is a single head of household. I'm just curious how, um, you know, these, these issues are affecting the family. Are, are children suffering from, you know, the inability of women to earn as much as men or perhaps to gain jobs back at a faster rate? I'm just curious about the impact on that, that family unit. Well, I think that women's economic contributions to their family are, are what's helping them stay afloat. I mean, if we, if we look at the income of families in the 1970s compared to the income of families today and we uh, adjust for inflation, the only families that have seen real income growth since the 70s are families where women are working. Um, and this is because at this point, you know, we live in a country that requires two incomes in order to make ends meet. So, and you're absolutely right that most children don't end up having a stay-at-home parent in the way that they did, you know, one or two generations ago. So only about one in five families today have one partner, which could be either a mom or a dad, who's staying home full-time with the kids. Um, and more than 40% of births now are to unmarried women. So this is a major demographic change that we've experienced. And one thing that I think is really interesting um, that doesn't necessarily get talked about enough is that more men report work-life conflict now than mm -hmm. women do. And part of that is because they don't have stay-at-home wives anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, things happen in our lives kids get sick, somebody has to stay at home so that the refrigerator repair person can come in, um, you know, all of these sorts of day-to-day -day sorts of things that, that happen where there used to be somebody who was at home to deal with it. Someone has to take an elderly parent to a doctor's appointment, all of these things. There used to be someone at home who could take care of that work. Now there isn't because all adults in the family are in the workforce. So it definitely creates uh, a different environment than what we are necessarily used to as a nation. And I think it really highlights the importance of workplace flexibility for both men and women and the importance of having access to paid sick days and also to paid family and medical leave. You know, for many of these families who don't have access, if you're sick, if your child is sick, um, when you bring a new baby home from in the hospital, the only option that a lot of families have is to take unpaid leave from work. And that's just not something that most families can, can afford to do anymore. Uh, and it's, it's really unfortunate that a sick child or a, a new child in the family requires a pay cut for families. Uh, this is something that, that absolutely is antithetical to uh, what I think our nation uh, really believes in in terms of family values. Yeah, absolutely. It is it is a quandary in that regard. And the other thing too, to kind of follow up on a comment you made a little bit ago about the rate of women who are contributing, you know, certain percentages of the family income, women are still making less than men. Even though we've we've kind of closed that gap over the years, we're still making what, seventy seven cents on the dollar, something like that. The gap closes as women age and yet, you know, they're still being required to bring home money to help support the family. Talk a little bit, if you would, about the implication of the wage gap on the overall family unit because women aren't making as much as men. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a serious problem for American families. And there are a couple of different factors that lead to women being paid less than men. Um, Part of it is about the industries that women are more likely to work in, uh, which are historically underpaid industries. And part of it is also that when women start their families, when women start having children, um, they oftentimes have to take extended unpaid leave out of the workforce in order to care for for new kids. Um, And when this time isn't paid and when there isn't a pathway to help women come back into paid employment, it, it causes disruptions in women's work history, which, as we all know, impacts future salary, right? So if you have years out of the workforce where you're unable to develop your skills and continue your education, um, then that's going to mean that when you come back to work later, you might experience a pay drop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I certainly don't want to discredit women who are leaving the workforce voluntarily to stay home and raise their kids because I think that, you know, that's a personal choice for people to make and one that we should all absolutely respect. But some women don't have the option of coming back to work um, even when they need to or want to. And so, you know, lack of access to affordable childcare is a major barrier for women uh, who would otherwise need or want to be working, but who have a young child at home. If your salary is less than what you would have to pay in childcare costs, then working can actually end up taking money out of your monthly budget, Mm -hmm. right? Because you'd pay more than you would be bringing in. Right. And the lack of paid maternity leave in this country really contributes significantly to this. You know, the United States is the only industrialized nation that doesn't have some form of paid parental leave, uh, which is really quite shocking if you if you think about it. Um, and when women have access to paid leave, if it's voluntarily offered through their employer, they're more likely to return to work and they're more likely to return to the same employer that they had before. So almost 98% of women who have paid maternity leave come back to the same job that they held mm-hmm. before they gave birth. Uh, and they're more likely to be making as much or a higher salary than they were before if they can come back to the same job. When women have to change jobs, about 30% experience a drop in pay because they've had to change employers. Uh, and so I think that this all indicates that there are some really serious problems in how we, we combine working and caregiving in this nation uh, and the way that that impacts women's salaries. Oh, absolutely. And that leads me to my next question. But before I get to it, we do need to take a break. More from Sarah Jane Glenn and uh, the follow-up to the Shriver Report when Purse Strings returns in just a moment. Okay, time for something we can all relate to. Shopping. Purse Strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. On the road. On the boat. Working out. Or up in the air. 
how you can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere. Look for WebmasterRadio.fm on TuneIn. Available for download on your iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, Android, Palm, Samsung, and Windows Phone. As well as Google TV, Yahoo TV, and Roku. Tune in to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere by downloading TuneIn right now. WebmasterRadio.fm. We really are everywhere. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of Internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com Maximize ROI to use your time. WebmasterRadio.fm Keeping you out of rush hour traffic. Her Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And we're back. I've been chatting today with Sarah Jane Glenn, a policy analyst with the Economic Policy Team at the Center for American Progress. And we've been talking about the Shriver Report, a Woman's Nation Changes Everything. It was a milestone report when it debuted in 2009. A lot has changed. We've made some great progress in the last three to four years, but clearly not enough. And uh, the Center for American Progress had updated a chapter called The New Breadwinners, in which we talked about the numbers of women entering the workforce and how so many of us today not only are working, but are responsible for critical monies to support our families in so many ways. And clearly, Sarah Jane, what we've been talking about today is how there's this inequity in the workforce when it comes to pay and opportunity that is affecting American families. And I am curious, how should American corporations be adapting to the shift in the workforce uh, demographics so that women can continue to stay in the workforce, not have to drop out and try to get back in and deal with the pay uh, decrease that often comes with that, as we were discussing. You mentioned right before the break um, the need for paid parental leave and the impact on that. What other ways can American corporations be adapting? Well, I think it's it's interesting if we take a, a critical look at the way that we've organized work in this country. So the idea that, you know, most people are working from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. is a holdover from the Industrial Revolution. There's really no reason why work for most of us, given technological advances and given the way that our global economy has changed, there's no real reason why work needs to happen within those hours. Um, but this is the way we've always done things, and it's very difficult uh, oftentimes to get corporations to kind of think outside the box and look at things a little bit differently. Uh, but the truth is it's not a very efficient way to be running things. Uh, and actually being really rigid with workers and requiring them to come into work and to physically be present to, to do your work and to put in FaceTime and to do all of these things that we kind of expect in our workplaces today, it's not resulting in any cost savings. In fact, it's actually costing employers more to, to structure their work so rigidly. So there are tremendous cost savings that are associated with offering paid leave and flexibility for workers. Uh, at this point, the cost of absenteeism, so the cost of having a worker not 
come in for the day, whether they're out sick or whether they had to take a personal day or on whatever other reason they're not physically there, the cost of absenteeism is less than the cost of what's called presenteeism. And presenteeism is when a worker physically comes into work, but they're just not very productive, either because they're sick uh, or because they're distracted by these other things that are going on. So companies are actually losing money. It would be cheaper for them to offer paid sick days, for example, than to have workers who come in when they're sick and just sort of sit in their offices and don't get very much done because they're running a fever or they have the flu or they're not doing very well for some other reason. Um, you know, one of the other major costs for employers is turnover. What, you know, it costs a lot of money to replace a worker, and that's true no matter what kind of employee you're talking about. Uh, even you know, the most quote-unquote unskilled labor still requires some kind of training, and you have to advertise, and you have to interview people. It costs time and money. So we're working on some research right now that's showing that the cost of turnover for businesses is about a quarter of that employee's salary. Wow. So every time you lose an employee because you're not offering flexibility, because you're not offering paid sick days, because you're not offering paid family and medical leave, it's costing you about 25% of that person's annual salary. That is far more than it would cost to implement these policies in the first place. And businesses that have started to do these things have noticed they have more productive, happier workers who stay with their businesses longer because employees respond well to being treated well. Uh, and we've started to see some folks who are definitely taking the high road and offering these types of benefits. And I'm hopeful that as the word gets out that it is good for bottom lines, we'll start to see this happening more and more. Yeah. I'm going to you on the spot, and if, and if you don't have an answer, just tell me. But I'm curious, is there a particular corporation that stands out as being, as being good at this, as taking this on and trying to create some real change? I know there are some. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> there's a few that immediately come to mind, but honestly, I'm, I'm reluctant to say because I think that there are probably some places I should should be mentioning that like my boss would want me to mention and I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong one. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Like I said, I totally put you on the spot. So we'll give you a pass on that one. I am curious though, how can American women, but everyone really, everyone, uh, because what's good for women is good for every worker, advocate for positive change in the work, workforce. What can we do? Well, I think there's a couple different roads that, that all workers can take. You know, you can talk to your employer, frankly. I mean, I think a lot of times the reasons um, workers are afraid to ask for flexibility, for example, uh, and if you don't ask, you don't know if it's possible or not. So I would definitely encourage people who need to figure out a flexible work arrangement, whether it's telecommuting, whether it's you know, taking some time off in the afternoon but putting those hours in in the evening, whatever works for your individual situation, I think it's always worthwhile to talk to your manager, to talk to HR, to talk to whoever's in charge of these decisions to see if that's possible and find out if these policies exist in your workplace because sometimes they, they are in place already but they're just drastically underutilized. But, you know, like I was saying earlier, this isn't just a personal issue. It's not something that we as individuals should have to figure out on our own. So I would also really encourage anyone, men and women, um, working in paid employment or, you know, working in the home to speak up to their elected officials about this. There's no reason why workplace policies to help 
caregivers who are also in paid employment, there's no reason why that should be a bipartisan issue. You know, regardless of someone's political affiliation, we have a very strong culture of family values in this nation. And family values should mean valuing families. It's not something that we should just be paying lip service to. And our elected officials aren't going to move on these issues unless they hear from the voters, from the folks who they're actually representing saying, hey, this matters to me, this matters to our community, we want to see some real change happen around this. And I think that if we can come together as a nation to, to say, we demand this, this is important for our lives, for our children, for our aging parents, for everybody, then that's when I think we're really going to start to see some real change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and this is definitely a year to step up and speak out because um, it's a critical election. Sarah Jane, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. And for everybody listening today, if you want to learn more about the Center for American Progress, I urge you to log on to their site, AmericanProgress.org. Learn more and, and learn about all the great work that they are doing and how you can help. Thank you to George for another great show. And join me right here for another edition of Purse Strings next Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, make it a great one. Mm-hmm.